At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to look deeper into 1 Peter, tuning into our current series, Unshakable, Steadfast Hope in an Unpredictable World. Join us as we allow God's Word to shape us and renew our hope with the brilliant truth of the gospel. How awesome is that? We are in 1 Peter chapter 1. I invite you to turn there. As you are going to 1 Peter, I would also... Just remind you that next Sunday, October 4th at 5 p.m., we are at the Troy campus for our annual celebration. This is a very important time for us as a church family. It's a time when we set budget. It's a time when we appoint new officers, our elders for the governing board. And, uh, and also this year, it's going to be really special. We don't get to do this every year, uh, but we are ordaining six of our pastors. So I would highly encourage you, next week, 5 p.m. at the Troy campus, come Come help us and be a part of this because remember, as go the pastors, so goes the church. And so this is a really significant time for us. First Peter chapter 1, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, how wonderful it is to be able to come and sing these songs. Grace, grace is so free for us. Grace is on our side. Lord, we're learning to put our hope in you. When we look around, it's easy to lose hope. Let us be anchored fully in your word. Let the grace found in Jesus always be the final word in our lives. And so now, as we set ourselves to study the scriptures, dear God, send your Holy Spirit to be our teacher. Spirit, illumine our way. Open our hearts and our minds to receive what you have for us. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. First Peter 1, we are in verse 13. The apostle Peter writes, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you are ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. The word of the Lord. What do you hope for? We're 37 days from the election. What do you hope for? Hope is a powerful thing. There's a proverb that says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. The proverb is not talking about our physical heart. It's talking about the heart as the center of who we are. And so hope deferred makes the heart sick means that there's a connection between our hearts, our health, and our hope. When we hope that our candidate will win the election and he wins, we start thinking the next four years are going to be amazing. 
When we hope that our Wolverines or our Spartans will win the game and they win, we feel great. When we hope that Ohio will win the game, we're in the wrong state. But there's a connection between our heart, our health, and our hope. I, used, I had an uncle who got drunk every time his team lost. Apparently his team lost a lot. But I've since met many men who are basically wrecked every time, every weekend their team plays and loses. Why? Because the hope deferred makes the heart sick. And they're pinning their hopes on this team that won't win and they get the blues. But our heart gets even more sick when we set our hopes on weightier things like our career, our wedding, our first child. So hope is a big theme in Peter's first letter. And this series, Unshakable, Steadfast Hope in an Unpredictable World, is geared at helping us not set our hope on good things that are not ultimate things. This is why Peter employs the language of Christians as exiles, as sojourners, as foreigners with no permanent home on this earth. Because think about it. If you're at a hotel for three days, you may not be crazy about the nondescript paintings on the walls. You may not love the, the wall colors or the stiff furniture, but you're not going to go on Amazon and start ordering new furniture and new paintings. Why? It's not your home. You're not that invested. It's a good thing, but it's not an ultimate thing in your life. You're going to move on, right? Well, likewise, our career has a place. Our marriage has a place. So do our nation and family. But here's the question. What's their place in your life? Is it good or is it ultimate? Is it good or is it God? Because as good things, they're great. As gods, they're disastrous. And so Peter says to us, you're in exile on earth. This is not your permanent home. Don't make it your permanent home. This is a hotel for you until God remakes it. So don't make this your permanent home. Don't make its things your permanent hope. And so instead of these perishable things that we set our hope on, Peter talks to us about being born again to a living hope. That was last week. We learned about this living hope that we now have. And then today he continues that theme and he says, set your hope fully on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's something you can hang the weight of your lives on. I mean, think about what he's saying. He says, set your hope fully, not half-heartedly, not consumed with the things of this world and enamored with what you see, but fully on the grace, the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The return of Christ is very important. It's something that Christians long forward to. We look forward to this. Why? Because he's bringing grace grace to us. I remember when I was growing up and my mom would take a trip and she would go away for some time. And if while she was gone, I did something to get me in trouble. And my older sister said to me, just wait until mom comes home. Did that ever happen to any of you? If that happened, I would have this sick to my stomach feeling until she came home. I could be eating ice cream, but it wasn't chocolate flavored ice cream. It was sick to my, to my stomach flavor ice cream. And I'm sure all of you have had this feeling about one thing or another. Well, 
Here's the thing, the return of Christ, which will be the most awesome and horrifying event in history, has nothing but grace and sweetness and sweet longing for the Christian. It's the Christmas morning to end all Christmas mornings, except it's not Christmas. There's no baby coming, it's the king. And he's coming with all his power and glory and love and wisdom. And so what Peter says to us is that that's what you have coming for you, Christian. Grace, unshakable, imperishable, and yet future. And what we're going to see today is that future grace transforms our conduct today. Future grace transforms our conduct today. I could not enjoy myself in the present when I knew that I was going to pay for my misdeeds when mom got home. Just imagine your elation when you know that the king, the king of the universe has nothing but grace, welcoming, sweet, saving grace for you. Think about that. And so today we're going to look at two ways that our Christian identity as recipients of this future grace that's coming to us from Christ, how that transforms the way we live today. And first, if God is your father, be holy. If God is your father, be holy. Look at verse 13 one more time with me. Peter says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, we're, gonna, we're not going to spend a lot of time on verse 13 because we've already been talking about this. But notice this. Look at how Peter says that in order for us to set our hope fully on this grace that Jesus will bring to us, we need to prepare our minds for action and be sober-minded. Peter uses two different words for the mental work that it takes to be a Christian. Now, critics of the Christian faith often pose this challenge to us. And they say that faith is antithetical to thought. They'll say, oh, you believe in God because you're too lazy to think for yourself. But nothing could be farther from the truth. Just take this one example. The Bible has over a thousand pages, almost 800,000 words, and each of those words could be studied for days. Not only that, it was written by different authors, and it has so many different genres, narrative, history, prophecy, proverb, song, poetry, gospel, letter, apocalypse. I mean, so just to understand the Bible with any degree of accuracy and comprehensiveness, we're going to need several lifetimes. Not only that, then if we want to take, you know, just think of the intellectual work that it would take to receive the Bible and integrate it into every other area of life and culture and study. Now, does that mean that people who are simple-minded cannot become Christians? Of course they can. Even children can and do become Christians. What it does mean is that every Christian must be thoughtful. That's what Peter says. In order for us to set our hope fully on this grace that's coming to us, we must prepare our minds for action and be sober-minded. It's as redundant to speak of a thinking Christian as of a swimming fish. Verse 14. So now that Peter's told us of the mental work it will take to set our hope fully on this grace that's coming to us with Christ, he now deploys the language of God as Father and we as children. Look at verse 14. He says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. 
But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Now in our culture, in our cultural push, to have gender be fluid, a matter of personal choice. We have more and more voices pressing against Christians to not be so rigid because at the end of the day, and I hear this from so many different places, at the end of the day, Jesus loves everybody. Now, listen, I love all my children, okay? All of them, but that doesn't mean that they get to act what, however they want. And what this passage is making clear to us is that it matters to God how we conduct ourselves. It matters to him. Peter calls us children, obedient children, and he calls God Father. And in essence, what he's saying is that there should be a family resemblance. There should be a family resemblance between us and God. You know, one of the things that's so fun is that families are beginning to come back to church. And so uh, I'm getting to meet some of these little babies that were born in the last few months. And, you know, after the nine o'clock service, I, uh, you know, there was this little baby that they brought to me. And I look at this little girl and she looks just like her dad, which is, you know, awesome. I mean, all my children look like me, but you know, it's, there's a resemblance. I mean, like she, I was like, this is amazing. The eyebrows, everything. There's a resemblance, right? When you take a child, that child is going to look like mom or dad or both. There's a resemblance. And what Peter is saying is, since God is holy, you be holy. Since God is a judge who will judge everyone impartially according to their deeds, you conduct yourself with fear during the time of your exile on earth. Do you see? Now, there's a kind of fear that is appropriate for a child before his father. There's a kind of fear that's appropriate for a defendant in a court of law standing before a judge. And what Peter says here is that instead of being conformed to the passions of our former ignorance, this is important, instead of conforming ourselves to the passions of our former ignorance, we are to be holy as God is holy. Notice how Peter describes our pre-Christian desires or passions. He says that they came from ignorance. They came from ignorance. In verse 18, he says that our ways were futile. In other words, our pre-Christian desires and passions are to be looked down on rather than cherished or defended. But I find the opposite in my heart. You tell me if you find the same. I find in my heart that I cherish my sin and look down on God's commands. Take, for example, lust. When I became a Christian, I was convicted that looking at a woman lustfully was wrong. But I was too close to that sin and too far from God and too new to God and his word that I, in my mind, I agreed that that was wrong, but my heart cherished it. And so with my heart, I cherished my sin and looked down on God's word. And for me to be able to make progress in that with respect to that sin, I had to get closer to God and to his word. And as I got closer to God and his word, what happened was that there was distance now between me and my sin. Do you see? But it took that journey toward God, toward God and his word for there to be distance and for me to begin to distance myself from that way of life. So that now... 
It takes effort, massive effort for me to lust after a woman. 26 years later, why? Because of what Peter says here, because I see it as futile. Because I see it as a part of my former ignorant self. Because I love God and his holiness more than I love the unholy way that I used to look at women. But do you see what's happening? I'm becoming holy as my father is holy. And it's been too slow, sadly. And yet I'm in the fight and I'm fighting. And what keeps me in the fight is the knowledge that Jesus Christ has grace coming for me at his return. And I, I, want, and I want him to recognize me. I want him to recognize me. I want him to go, yep, he's mine. Because he's holy like my father is holy. Is that your desire? Now take my example about lust and apply it to a struggle in your life. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's foul speech. Maybe it's vanity or sexual sin or sexual orientation or your desire to be rich. And so the question is this. The question that the, the text of Scripture is posing to us today is this. Are you becoming holy as your Father in heaven is holy. Do not be led astray by people who say, oh, Jesus loves everybody to justify behavior that goes clearly against God's word. I want you to take Peter's if seriously. Look at verse 17. You gotta take this seriously. He says, if, if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Listen, God is both our father and our judge, and he's going to judge everyone according to their own deeds. Now, you may say, whoa, 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 wait. I thought he was going to judge us, Christians, according to grace. No. He's going to save us according to grace. He's going to judge us according to our deeds. So you ask, well, what's, so how do those work? How does this, the grace of God and our deeds work together? Simple. Our gospel-aligned, Christ-honoring good deeds are evidence that the grace of God has transformed our lives. That's how God is going to know, how he's going to differentiate the people who know him and the people who don't. What's the difference? The people who know him look different. They are holy. Why? Because there's fruit in their lives. Jesus said again and again, by their fruit, you will know them. And so when God, when we stand before him, he'll say, yes, he belongs to me. Look at the fruit of his life. My grace has transformed him. My grace has saved him. Isn't that awesome? And so the question is this, is God your father? Or does he not know you? What kind of shows are you watching? There's been a lot of show watching in this COVID season. What are you watching? What are you putting inside your mind that goes down to your heart and you drink deeply from? What is that? Now, if you say, if you say, oh, no, it doesn't really affect me that much. It's just a show. You do not know how influence works. You do not know how the mind or the human heart work. And so what are you watching? Is it bringing you distance between you and your sin or between you and your Savior? What kind of clothes are you wearing? Are you drawing attention to your godly character or to your body? What about your spending habits? What do your spending habits say about your status as an exile on earth? 
as someone without a permanent home. Do you spend more on your car than you do on the gospel mission? I want you to think about that. What does that say about your priorities? Do you live like the earth is your home and so you spend to impress? You spend to impress yourself? Look at how far I've come. You spend to impress those around you. You see, Hebrews 12 says, strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And Peter tells us here, be holy as your Father in heaven, as he who called you is holy. So if God is your Father, be holy. If Jesus is your Redeemer, be faithful. And that's number two. If Jesus is your Redeemer, be faithful. Look at verse 18. Peter goes on. Knowing that you are ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb with a blemish or spot. So now that Peter has told us how we are to conduct ourselves during the time of our exile on earth, holy because God is holy, he now gives us the why. He told us the how, now he tells us the why. And the why is the precious blood of Christ. He says to us that we've been ransomed. What does that mean? To be ransomed is to be liberated. For Israel in the Old Testament, their ransom, their redemption came from Egypt, right? And so I'm going to read you a couple of passages from Deuteronomy that address Israel, but it's the same word that Peter uses here for ransomed. In Deuteronomy 7 and verse 8, Moses says to Israel, it is because the Lord loves you. And is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you. There it is. Ransomed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Deuteronomy 15, 15. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you, ransomed you. So the concept of redemption, of being ransomed, has to do with liberation from slavery. For Israel, it was liberation from slavery to Egypt. For Christians, it's liberation from slavery to our sin. Or what Peter calls here our feudal ways inherited from our forefathers. All of us received from our parents, from our culture, from our own flesh, right? This feudal way of life that we needed to be ransomed from. Now, People today say that our desires, our feelings are to be affirmed and celebrated. But what scripture says here, what Peter says here is that our desires are something that we need to be liberated from. You see how opposite these teachings are? Outside of this room, you will not hear that at all. You will not hear that you are to not be conformed to your desires, but rather be conformed to the holiness of your God. Outside of here, you'll hear your desires are you. Your desires, your feelings are what make you who you are. So affirm them and go for them. Celebrate them. And we'll come back to that. But we need to be ransomed. We need to be redeemed. How are we redeemed? Look at the middle of verse 18. Not with perishable things, such as silver or gold. Back then, um, when people were slaves in the Roman world, they could buy their freedom with silver or with gold. But Peter says this is not the kind of freedom that you're buying. It's not with that. Instead, what do we, how are we ransomed? Verse 19, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb with a blemish 
or spot. So there's only one thing that can ransom you. Listen to me. And it's not 12 steps. It's not a 12-step program. It's not an anger management class. It's not a diet program. It's not a yoga pose. The only thing that can ransom us is the precious blood of Christ. Jesus came like a lamb without spot or defect. In the Old Testament, the blood of the Passover lamb was required so that the Israelites could be spared when God passed over the land in judgment. They would be spared. The sacrificial system required often that a lamb without defect be offered for sin. But then from within Israel, from within the sacrificial system that's going on, you have Isaiah the prophet who starts speaking about this suffering servant who's going to come and like a sheep that was led to the slaughter, he did not open his mouth. That's our Redeemer. That's who Christ is for us. But there are many versions of Christianity today. Some call it progressive Christianity, where any talk of ransom, Sacrifice or blood is seen as absurd. They want a God that conforms to the ever-evolving morality and sensibilities of our culture. So do you see what we do? Rather than having our passions, our desires conform to the holiness of God, we want God to be conformed to our desires. So many voices saying, Unless you conform to your desires, then you're not going to be happy because that's the real you. Listen, Jesus is our Redeemer. He came to die for us. Jesus offers us his blood or he has nothing of eternal value for us. His teaching will do you no good without his death. Because we don't just need more information. We don't just need someone who tell us some, something new. We need someone who can transform our heart. We need someone who can get to our heart and from within change us. I mean, don't you want someone who can take you from being greedy and make you generous, open-handed? Don't you want someone who can take your lust and make you pure? Or someone who can take your anger and make you patient? Oh, so patient. Don't you want someone who sees your vanity and can transform you into someone who is self-forgetful? We need a redeemer, church. We don't just need a teacher. I mean, do we have any compulsive nail biters? You don't have to raise your hand. Or nail pickers in the audience here. Yes, when I was growing up, that was me. I mean, I would be eating like my nails like corn on the cob. It was like, you know, like it, was, it was a snack all the time. But here's the thing. People who are compulsive nail biters, it's not that they don't know about nail clippers. Right? That's not what's missing. It's that they can't stop. And it's the same with sinners. It's not that we don't know that something is wrong. It's that we can't stop, which is why we need a redeemer, a redeemer who can come and transform our hearts. Don't you want someone to see you in your greed? You're greedy with your money. You're greedy with your time. You won't give it away because you think that in that, there's safety, there's salvation for you. And you need a redeemer to come and make you open-handed with your money, with your time, with your gifts, and let you know the joy of living a generous life. Or if you've been just putting these images, these filthy images into your mind so that you are just lustful. Your eyes are trained to lust 
Don't you want someone to come and transform you and show you the distastefulness of that and give you a greater love for something pure and holy and make you pure? Don't you want that? Yes. Or if you're anger, angry, if you struggle with anger, and who of us doesn't? And man, people could be driving you insane. And you're like, oh, but you do not do the next thing. You do not let your anger be what you answer with. You're patient. You're long-suffering. Who can do that? How does that happen? Or if you're vain. You know, our body image, our self-image is so important to us. And if we could have someone that comes and make us self-forgetful, it just doesn't matter to us that much. Who can do that, church? A Redeemer. Only the Redeemer who came to save us. So I want you to do this. If there is something that you are enslaved to today, you're a Christian, but you're enslaved to this thing still, I want you to go and read Exodus from chapter 7 to 14, or if you want to go all the way from the beginning to chapter 14, but I want you to go and read the power with which God shows up to take Israel out of Egypt, out of the slavery they they were in with a mighty hand, with an outstretched arm. And I want you to know that the same power is available to you through your Redeemer. That's what it means to be ransomed by the precious blood of Christ. You do not have to stay in slavery or Jesus did not die or his blood means nothing. It's It's what we have in him. This incredible redeemer, he's the only one. Listen to me. There are millions of teachers out there. There's only one redeemer for all of mankind. And without him, you are his slave. But with him, you are free. You're free. This is what grace is all about. This is why we sing grace so, so free. Look at verse 20. Peter goes on. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Peter now reminds us or informs us that Jesus did not come out of nowhere. That he's not like the, a novelty from the mystery or pagan religions of the Greco-Roman world that sprang up out of nowhere. No, he says that Jesus was known before the foundation of the world. He was known in the mind of God. Before the world was created, God knew Jesus as the lamb who would take the sin of the world. He knew him. But he was made manifest in this last time for our sake. Do you see? For our sake, Jesus has come. Think about this plan. Think about this plan of God where Jesus comes in fulfillment of all of God's promises. But this plan was hatched in eternity past by God, Father, Son, and Spirit. 
And then the world was made. And then Adam and Eve sinned. And then the whole world except Noah's family was drowned in the flood because of human evil. And then Abraham was chosen and Israel formed. And then came a long history of God's faithfulness and his people's rebellion. So the law, the land, the kingdom, the exile, and then waiting, waiting, waiting for the Son of God to come as our Redeemer and redeem us from the slavery of the feudal way of life we inherited from our forefathers. That's your Redeemer. And so if you are here without Christ, but you don't think that your life is futile apart from Him, you're not thinking. You're not thinking about the darkness within you. Man, someone told me after the nine o'clock service, said, you know, my neighbor just became a Christian. And you know how he got there? Because he had grown up going to some church, but then his whole life he had not walked away from God. But then as he's been looking at all the evil in the world and evil upon evil upon evil and how dark things are, he reasoned there must be a commensurate good. If there's this much evil, there must be this much good. And he came to Christ. Because yes, there is goodness. But the only goodness that is without spot, without blemish, is found in Christ. And so if you're here without him, you're numb. You're numb. It's so easy for us to live happy, making this life all that there is, our permanent home, without any thought to eternity or to the judge that we will all face. And if that's you, you're in a precarious place. And I implore you, surrender to Jesus. Come. If you don't know enough about him, come talk to us. We will teach you. We will show you. We will point you to the way. You need him. Apart from him. There is no salvation. And if you are a Christian, if you say, yes, he's my redeemer, then be faithful. Be faithful to him and him alone. It's what verse 21 says. It's talking about us who through him are believers in God. We believe God. Whatever you hear in the culture, whatever you hear in the news, believe God. Choose God every single time who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. You see, our faith and our hope are in God. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ as the lamb of God who takes away my sin, the sin of the world. It's that revelation that makes us go, yes, I'm putting all my faith and all my hope in God. Because if God cares so much about my eternal good that he had a plan even before he created the world, then case closed. I'm putting all my faith and all my hope in him. How bent out of shape are you over the election? The intensity of your emotions will show you how misguided your hope is. We are called to set our hope on the grace that's coming our way. The return of Christ, you guys, which will be the most awesome and the most horrifying event in all of history has nothing but sweetness for the Christian. You have nothing to fear. You can long, long, long for his appearing. And so if God is your father, be holy. And if Jesus is your redeemer, be faithful. Yes, care about the election. Care about our nation care about your career and your family and your marriage. Care about all these things. They are good things, but do not make them ultimate things. They are good things. They're not gods because as good things, they are great. As gods, 
they're disastrous. So what do you hope for? There's only one thing that will never let you down. The grace. The grace of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We give you thanks for your grace, for this future grace that Peter tells us to set fully our hope on. This sweet, welcoming, saving grace that Jesus will come to us in all its finality. This grace that has power to remake the world at his word. We long for that grace. Father, I pray that in light of this grace, that we would prepare our minds for action and be sober-minded. Father, I pray that in light of this grace, our conduct would be that which conforms to your holiness. Make us holy as you are holy, dear God. And Father, I pray that we would live in such a way that shows that Jesus indeed has redeemed us. He's ransomed us. He has taken us from slavery and we are not slaves to sin any longer. So Father, I pray for anyone who here feels defeated in sin. Would you be merciful to them, God? Would you come to them in power? Would you open the eyes of their hearts that they may know that the precious blood of Christ has ransomed them. The chains have been broken. They can walk away free. Oh, this grace that's so free. Thank you. Free to us, costly to you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for saving us. I pray that your grace, your grace now, but also the future grace you have for us would transform our conduct today. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.